Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the one whose divine glory is revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The sermon text is the gospel lesson for today. It's from Matthew chapter 17. We hear verses 1 through 9. Please rise as we hear these words in Jesus' name. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. And there he was, transfigured in front of them. His face was shining like the sun. His clothing became as white as the light. And just then Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter said to the Lord, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And just then a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. And Jesus approached, and as he touched them, he said, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they opened their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And we pray. O Lord Jesus, help us to see the glory that belongs to you as the Son of God, but also as the one who willingly goes to the cross for us and for our sins. Help us always trust in you and in your plans, O Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I love mountains. I grew up in my hometown surrounded by mountains. And I love hiking. It was a favorite uh, activity that my family would, would do when I was young. And I especially love hiking to mountaintops. And there you get to take in this glorious, clear view. Everything stretched out in front of you. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience like that? Do you enjoy those beautiful, clear views from high places? Today, in our sermon text, we are brought along with the disciples to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, and we get to see some beautiful, clear views there on the top of that mountain. First of all, we get a clear view of Jesus' true identity, that he is in fact the very Son of God. We get to see his divine nature revealed to us. Secondly, he gives us a very clear view of how silly our plans and ideas are when they are in conflict with, with God's plans and ideas. And thirdly, we get a clear view of the coming glory that is in store for Jesus and also for ourselves. First of all, we see a clear view of Jesus' divine glory. Our text explains it. Jesus was transfigured in front of them, his face shining like the sun. His clothing became as white as the light. And then Moses and Elijah appear to them, talking with Jesus. In the previous chapter, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this bold profession. He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Now, on top of that mountain, six days later, we're told, Jesus shows them that that 
profession is absolutely true. As his divine nature is revealed, it's manifested, it's, it's shining forth on full display for those, those witnesses, those three disciples that were with him. What we see emphasized here at the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus is, is really one of the most important doctrines and teachings of the entire Christian church. And it's a clear teaching of the Bible that we find here in our text. That both God and man are together in one person in Jesus. This is really important for us to grasp and understand. Jesus is 100% true man, but he is also 100% true God. Mathematicians hate this, but this is how God works. It's God's math. He is both, absolutely. And yet, he is also, Jesus, being both God and man, he is also one of the three persons of the Holy Trinity. Now, we're, we know and we're told in the Bible that the Son of God, God the Son, existed from eternity. He was even present at the creation of all things. Through him, everything was made, John writes. But then in the incarnation, God the Son takes on human flesh and blood. And ever since that moment, ever since being in the womb of Mary, he has been and he remains still to be true man and true God in one person at all times. And it's not like he turns on one nature and turns off the other nature. It doesn't work that way. He is always both God and man. Now, of course, as Jesus was living on earth, he was humbling himself. That's how St. Paul describes it. He was choosing to not make full use of his divine power. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have that power. He did. He possessed it. But he chose not to make use of it in order to win salvation for us. But please don't understand or think that Jesus' willing humiliation means that he isn't actually true God. It gets tricky. It's a, it's a tricky trap because we're dealing with things that belong to the mind of God, that go beyond our understanding. And many people, even well-meaning Christians, have often been careless in the way they speak about our, our Savior, in the way they speak and approach this study of Christology. And so they end up sounding as if there are times when Jesus isn't actually true God or that he actually isn't true man. Please be careful because this is heretical and it's really dangerous to the Christian faith. Because in order for Jesus to be our Savior, he has to be both God and man. Again, this, this happens and people fall into these mistakes because they try to rationalize something that goes beyond our understanding. Instead, what God would have us do is simply put our faith in what our Savior Jesus reveals about himself and what the scriptures tell about him and what we see here on the Mount of Transfiguration, what we confess in the Athanasian Creed when it says the right faith is that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man. This is an important point that those three witnesses, Peter, James, and John, were making. 
uh, in their writings. Peter, we heard it in our epistle lesson a few moments ago. He, he says these are not cunningly devised fables that we're making up about Jesus or about who he is. John, in the beginning of his gospel, says, we saw his glory. We witnessed it firsthand. He is really, truly both God and man. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father himself proclaims, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, the first view that we have is of Jesus and of his true identity. He is, in fact, God the Son who has come into this world. He possesses divine glory. And yet he is also true man, our brother, who has come in order to help us. Now, a few days before, right after, Je after, right after Jesus had asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter made this bold profession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, in the very next moment, he goes on to make a terrible blunder. Do you remember what happened? Peter, Jesus then, he starts teaching his disciples. And he, he explains to them that I'm going to be going to Jerusalem and I'm going to face the cross and suffering and death and resurrection. And Peter grabs Jesus and pulls him aside and says, uh-uh, absolutely not, Jesus. We're not going to let this happen to you. You remember how Jesus rebukes Peter rather harshly. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Six days later, on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, a similar thing takes place. Jesus is in the middle of this amazing conversation with Elijah and Moses. And in, in Luke's gospel, we even get some details about what they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus' exodus, about his departure from this world. Moses and Elijah are there excited, talking to Jesus about the coming glory that would be given to Jesus as he marches into Jerusalem and goes to the cross to win salvation for people. Peter, however, he has other ideas. Ideas that he thinks are better. And so Peter butts into the conversation. He inserts himself and he cuts in and he says, here's an idea. How about I make three shelters up here? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Guys, let's hold up on this departure talk and just stay put here for a while. Let's bask in this glory here and now. Regardless of what was really running through Peter's mind as he was making this seemingly ridiculous suggestion, he clearly did not have in mind the things of God, but he had in mind the things of men. This time it wasn't Jesus, instead it was God the Father who responded to Peter and to his silly idea. We're told in our text that while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Essentially, God the Father cuts Peter off as he's still talking. And God the Father essentially says, Shut your mouth, Peter. Cancel your plans. My ideas 
are better than yours. Jesus is my son. He is your God. You need to listen to him. Peter sees firsthand on the top of that mount of transfiguration that Jesus is the son of God. But then he tries to force Jesus to fit into his own notions, his own ideas, his own plans. It seems so silly, doesn't it? How can you say and admit at one moment, you are almighty God, and then in the very next moment, you try to boss him around? But dear friends, don't we end up doing the same thing? It's easy to point the finger at Peter and say, big mistake, bub. But we do the same thing. How often when the way of humiliation, when the way of the cross is presented in front of us, do we say what Peter says? No, absolutely not. This isn't the way it should be. I don't want it this way. This doesn't fit with my plans or my ideas, Lord. When we find ourselves or a loved one sick, no, God, this isn't right. What are you doing? Or when we suffer some sort of tragedy or loss, what are you thinking, Lord? This is all backwards. Or when we have to experience some suffering, why, God, are you forsaking me? This isn't how it's supposed to be. Or have there even been times in your life where, where like Peter, you try to force your ideas and try to make them happen, and then God shuts it down. And he says, essentially, stop it. I know better than you. I get to make up the plans. I get to make up the rules. You need to simply listen and follow me. I know that He's done that to me. Peter was right there with Jesus. Peter saw firsthand, and he confessed that Jesus was God. And yet, even just a few days later, he falls right back into the same trap, into the same temptation, into the same sin. I think this goes to show us how easy it is to commit this sin, to fall into this mistake. Instead of listening to God, accepting and having in mind the things of God, we get carried away with our own ideas, with our own plans, concerned about the things of men, and we ignore what God has to say. On the Mount of Transfiguration, we see a clear view of how silly our plans are when they oppose God. And we, like Peter, we need to hear God say and reaffirm to us Jesus is my son. Don't question him. Don't doubt him. Don't think that you know better than him. Instead, listen to Jesus. God wanted Peter to listen to Jesus, especially about Jesus' coming, suffering, death, and resurrection. Those things that would soon be happening in Jerusalem. And there is great irony here. Because that suffering, death, and resurrection, these, these events that would be happening... They are actually where Jesus' true glory will be on display. Jesus himself speaks about this. Even way back in, in John 3, Jesus is, speak, is speaking to Nicodemus. And he explains that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. He's going to be exalted like the bronze serpent so that everyone who, who looks at him will be saved. And of course, Jesus is speaking about about the cross and being lifted up on the crucifixion. Or during Holy Week, 
Jesus, he, he comes into Jerusalem and he proclaims, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then in the very next verse, he speaks about a, a seed that falls to the ground dead. And yet that seed goes on to produce much grain. Now to our way of thinking, it seems to be backwards and out of place to speak about a terrible, painful suffering and death as something that is glorious. But it is glorious for Jesus and for us that he was willing to go to the cross to take his innocent, perfect life, a life that was literally death-proof. Never did he ever try to tell God that he knew better than God. Instead, Jesus prays, not my will, but your will be done, O Lord. And yet Jesus willingly gives up this life of his in exchange for ours. For us sinners, he goes to the cross and he takes our place there. He trades places with us. His righteousness to us, our sinfulness, placed upon him, nailed with him to the cross. And upon the cross, Jesus follows through with the plan that had been laid out by Moses and Elijah, all of the writings of the Old Testament, God's plan, which was in play from the very beginning. Jesus goes to the cross to fulfill it for you and me, to be our Savior. And realize he didn't have to do any of this. He didn't have to endure this. But he chose to endure it all. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants you to be sharing in the glory that is his. Jesus, God the Son, chose to humble himself even to death on a cross to pay for every single one of your sins, my sins, to pay for the sins of all people of all time so that the future glory of heaven might be freely offered to us. So now, when we find ourselves humbled by God, when we find ourselves told that we need to cancel our plans and our ideas and that we need to listen to Jesus, we can do so happily. We can do so without fear. Because Jesus now comes up to you and to me as he came up at the end of our text to those terrified, face-down disciples. And he touches them and he reassures them. And he tells them, get up, do not be afraid. Jesus does the same now for you and for me. The Son of God himself comes to you and he touches you now through his word. And he touches you through the water that was poured upon your head in baptism. He touches you through the bread and wine to which he joins his body and blood in the Lord's Supper, forgiving you of all of your sins. He touches you here in these places and he says, get up, stand up. You have nothing to fear. I lived a perfect life for you. I died on the cross to pay for your sins. I rose from the dead to assure you that victory belongs to us. Your sins are forgiven. God now has made you part of my kingdom, Jesus proclaims. And you get to share in this glory that you witness on the Mount of Transfiguration. The day is coming when your body will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye to have a glorious, glorified body like his. And Jesus says, you will be joining me on that future mountain, the glorious feast of heaven. 
What great news you and I have. What a great view we have from the Mount of Transfiguration of the, the coming glory of Jesus' cross, but also what comes after that for all of us. The coming glory that belongs to those who put their hope and trust in that cross of Christ. The hope and glory of heaven itself. Dear friends, Transfiguration is the last Sunday of this season of the church year, of the Epiphany season. And these three clear views that we have before us today are meant to encourage us as we now come down the mountain and we begin our journey to the cross, as we next week begin the Gesema, the pre-Lent season, and then also the Lenten season. There are some somber times ahead of us in the church year, and most certainly somber times for us in our lives as well. And so we want to stay mindful of these clear views that we have in this mountaintop experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, where we stand assured that our loving brother Jesus is in fact the almighty, true God, God the Son, that his ways are better than our ways, and that his work and plans, even when they include suffering and cross, will be to our benefit and glory. All glory, honor, and praise be to our Lord Jesus. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.